It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Stuart Varney. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, June 9th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. What do you do when an 11-year-old girl tells you she covered herself in her classmates' blood and stayed quiet during a school shooting? We'll soon find out what lawmakers' plans are. We can't stop all of these, right? Evil finds a way to do its deeds, but we can certainly make it more difficult for these, um, these attackers to do what they want to do. I'm Dave Anthony. Democrats leading the House committee probing last year's Capitol riot go prime time tonight with a made-for-TV hearing. I do believe there'll be a measure of drama. What they will present that we don't know already, I, I think is where really the, the question is in all of this. And I'm Joe Concha. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. 11-year-old Maya Cerillo told the House Oversight Committee in a pre-recorded video what happened on May 24th inside her classroom at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. She said in a monotone voice that her teacher told them to hide after locking the door. They moved toward the teacher's desk and the backpacks. But the shooter came in and shot her teacher in the head. Then he shot her classmates and the whiteboard as well. I thought he was going to come back to the room. So I grabbed the blood and I put it all over me. And... What did you do then when you put the blood on yourself? Just stay quiet. And then I got my teacher's phone and called 911. Kimberly Rubio, whose daughter Lexi was killed in that classroom, told lawmakers she will forever be haunted by her decision to leave Lexi at school that day. We seek to raise the age to purchase these weapons from 18 to 21 years of age. We seek red flag laws, stronger background checks. We also want to repeal gun manufacturers' liability immunity. Zanetta Everhart's 20-year-old son was wounded in the top supermarket shooting in Buffalo. She told members of Congress, If after hearing from me and the other people testifying here today does not move you to act on gun laws, I invite you to my home to help me clean Zaire's wounds so that you may see up close the damage that has been caused to my son and to my community. While the House has its own package of gun laws, if anything is to pass, it needs to go through the Senate where 60 votes are needed. And that means at least 10 Republicans will have to be on board. Well, my first thought is, you know, my heart goes out to these families and these victims and this young girl that uh, was brought in to testify. Clearly, she still must be traumatized and still processing what happened. Ryan Petty's daughter was killed in the Parkland school shooting in Florida four years ago, and he's now on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission and the Florida State Board of Education. It would be difficult enough for an adult to process this, I can't imagine being her age and trying to process what she has had to survive. Ryan, you've done a lot of work since your daughter was killed, Elena, um, in Florida on, on gun legislation and in regards to schools. What kinds of conversations do you find yourself having these days with conservatives, with liberals, emotional conversations, non-emotional ones? And are the conversations like shifting now, it feels fairly similar to conversations that we had just after Parkland. I, 
I think across the board, regardless of political persuasion, everybody wants these things to stop. They don't understand why they're happening. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Unfortunately, it's a nightmare that's all too real for, for me and for my wife. We just want it to end and we want it to stop. And then the folks come peddling solutions that quite frankly don't address the problem. And so what's frustrating to me is that it prevents us from having a productive conversation about solutions that would actually prevent these tragedies from happening. Well, let, let's get into it a little bit um, because, and I want you to talk to me about what you worked on in terms of, of laws in Florida um, that passed. And I ask that not just because of who you are, but because Connecticut Senator Murphy, uh, the Democrat who's leading the talks here with Republican Senator John Cornyn, uh, Murphy said Florida is possibly the template for some new gun rules, and, and he's a Democrat. Um, he thinks that maybe whatever you guys did in Florida is palatable enough to um, maybe get 10 Republicans on board. What, what did pass in Florida? What did you work on? So what we did is, you know, then Governor Scott, now Senator Scott, put together a team of experts that covered three big domains of the problem. So one being law enforcement, the second being the education space, and then also mental health. And what we did here in Florida is we looked at all elements of this not just the gun control piece. And what, unfortunately, what I hear in D.C. is, yeah, Florida's the model, but it's the model because they like a couple of the gun control measures that were put in that original Marjorie Stoneman Douglas public safety bill. They like, you know, raising the age from 18 to 21, and they like what we did with regards to red flag laws, and they want to federalize what we did here in Florida. And doing that at the federal level is very different than doing it at the state level. And I think it should be left up to the states to decide, is what we did in Florida actually the model, or do they have a different set of circumstances that would cause them to craft their law slightly differently? What I don't think should happen is we shouldn't take what we did in Florida and make that federal law. What should be federal law? And what do you think Republicans would go for in terms of making it a federal law? Look, I think as, you know, pragmatic, practical solutions, we could look at something like the federal level providing some funding for states that want to enact red flag laws. That was something we did after uh, Parkland. It's not something that's popular with many Republicans, and it's not popular with Second Amendment advocates, and I understand the reasons why and understand the arguments, but it's worth having a conversation and debate about like we did in Florida. The Democrats are sounding like, I mean, they're not sounding like it. They, they are. They will point blank tell you they are desperate. They will take anything right now at this point. I mean, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and several other Democrats have said, look, we know we're not going to get everything we want, but we're OK with that at this point. Like, we just want something that maybe would even save a life. When you hear that kind of language, does that give you hope? What does that make you feel like, that, that they would take almost anything? You know, call me cynical. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are politicians that I have worked with that I think genuinely do care. And I'm not suggesting that any one particular senator doesn't care. But let me just say my, my broader experience is that at the closest point to these tragedies, there's a lot of empathy and there's a lot of motivation to get something done. And the further you get away from the tragedy, there's there's less empathy and less willingness to get something done. 
I am curious about your thoughts on mental health. We do hear a lot about it. It seems like a very tricky issue um, because sometimes you hear about these young, mostly men, who maybe had shown some signs of some mental health crisis, but it's it's a very fluid situation, in other words, one's mental health. But like the teenager who killed your daughter, um, he had an extensive mental health history. He had been medicated. He had been counseled. Um, we, we don't hear that often about the shooters, that, that they kind of slipped through the cracks, right? That they didn't get help. So what sort of action, if any, would you want to see on the mental health front if lawmakers were to get involved? Yeah, it, it's a complicated subject, and it's one that we've, as a member of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, Commission, we've looked at extensively. A couple of things jump out at me. Number one, a lot of these attackers are not mentally ill per se. They know what they're doing. They're deliberately acting in, in a desire to either hurt others or have law enforcement kill them. So it's a, it's a deliberate act. They know what they're doing. They know right from wrong. And there's no mental health excuse. Uh, I also want to say that just because you have mental health issues doesn't necessarily mean you're a threat to yourself or to others. So I want to I want to make course, sure yeah. everyone's yeah. clear on that. But what we're seeing is there's a pattern of disturbing behaviors, right, that manifest themselves almost every single time. And the thing that we learned, you know, from the Secret Service and the research they've done on attacks over the past 20 years since Columbine is over 90 percent of these attackers communicate their intent to hurt themselves or hurt others. And therein lies the opportunity for prevention, because once you once they communicate the threat, then you understand there's a problem and then you can take action. And what we've done in Florida, that's so different than what most states have done is now law enforcement in Florida, school districts and mental health professionals coordinate through this behavioral threat assessment and management process. It's not perfect. There's a lot of there's a lot of institutional uh, momentum that has to be overcome to get these folks to sit down and talk to each other. But we're doing that now in Florida and all three of those groups are being trained. And so we're we're seeing these warning signs earlier and we're we've got better options for intervention. Interesting. Um, finally, Ryan. The Department of Justice is doing an after-action review of Uvalde's response. We've heard, I'm sure you've heard as well, a lot of disbelief at the response to the Uvalde shooting. Considering the criticism the, the cops and the school resource officer faced after Parkland, were you surprised when you heard about how the police responded in Uvalde, that the commander you know, thought it was a barricade situation, that it took so long to go in and kill the shooter? I was stunned and I we kept hearing different bits of information and some of it very contradictory. And boy, there were a lot of mistakes made. And it was painful to hear that because those uh, my heart goes out to those families that their loved ones were in that classroom. And we don't know yet. Were there any like this young girl that testified today? Were there any others that were alive that could have been saved had police acted differently? The protocol is clear. You go to the threat and you eliminate the threat. Whether you're one officer, two officers, three, you go to the threat and you eliminate the threat. And nobody is expecting law enforcement to, to engage in a suicide mission. But if the difference is a child going home to their family or that law enforcement officer, unfortunately losing their life in a gunfight with an evil uh, attacker in a classroom, 
that law enforcement officer needs to go to that threat and eliminate the threat. I don't know how you do what you do. I mean, do you, do you feel like you have to live this over and over again when you talk about it? Or is this your is this sort of cathartic for you to educate and talk about, you know, the work you're still doing on this? It, this is cathartic for me because and it's a way I can honor my daughter and who and the person that she was. I, I learned, you know, parents are supposed to teach their their kids. I learned more from Elena in the 14 years. We had the privilege of having her in our home than I'm certain she learned from me. But she would want me to be her voice. She would want me to continue to let people know and understand what were the things that led up to her murder that day and not accept the first answer that comes down the pipeline, which is, you know, guns are bad. That's not what Elena believed. That's not what I believe. But I can I can honor her memory by helping others uh, understand. First of all, it was just investigating the tragedy. What happened? Why did it happen? And then holding those accountable in the state of Florida that failed us and at the federal level, because there were failures in law enforcement in Florida, and there were failures at the FBI. You know, I know I can't, we can't stop all of these, right? Evil finds a way to do its deeds, but we can certainly make it more difficult for these, um, these attackers to do what they want to do. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for talking to us and educating us. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Joe Concha with your Fox News commentary, coming up. It's a day Democrats don't want us to forget. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Well, they're ready to use then-President Trump's words on January 6th, 2021, against him again. The President of the United States incited an armed insurrection against America. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, joined by 10 Republicans, impeached the president for the riot that day. And more than 800 Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol interrupting Joe Biden's election certification have been charged in a criminal investigation. And while GOP lawmakers have condemned the violence, most dismiss the Democrat-led committee that's also probing the riot as politics. At a primetime hearing set for 8 o'clock Eastern tonight, partisan theater made for TV. Some networks will carry it live, including Fox Business. I'd be curious to know what the numbers are. What sort of viewership will it draw? They hired this ABC producer to help them out with the production, let's say. Well, let's see how they do. Bill Hemmer is the co-anchor of America's Newsroom weekday mornings on Fox News Channel. I do believe there'll be a measure of drama. What they will present that we don't know already, I, I think is where really the the question is in all of this. New footage, supposedly, we've never seen before. Yeah. 
um, which which could be gripping. I uh, I will concede to you um, if it helps represent the violence that we saw on the sixth of January in that afternoon. And we've already seen a lot of those videos in these hearings that we in the past. Yeah, but but you, you you know through the medium of television that you can capture this in a way that has you know an impact on people. So right. let let's see how they do on the production side of it. The other thing is the actual content of what they have to present to the American people. Is it new? Can you prove that there were people who were communicating on, let's say, the 5th of January with the intent to go inside the Capitol building? That would be damning. Right, right. But, but short of that, I, I, I'm not so sure how much further we move the ball. I mean, we all I, know former President Trump took hours to respond that day. People were trying to get him to respond. Messages from all kinds of people among his circle, hey, get him to stop it. That's all. We know yeah. that. We know a lot of things about January 6th already. Yeah. Dave, I was in Atlanta, Georgia that day, and I was anchoring the day after the contested Senate runoffs. Oh, right. We were dealing with the 50-50 Senate. Well, we weren't even at 50-50 at that point, and we're watching this rally um, on the monitors down in Atlanta, and things went from bad to worse with each passing hour. And we made a Senate call for Raphael Warnock in the middle of that breaking news story. Is that right? I forgot which that. Which literally put the Senate at 50-50, okay. 50-50 plus one with Kamala Harris, uh, the Democrat breaking ties. That happened in the middle of the um, forgot all about the that. raid on Capitol Hill. I think the other thing to keep in mind, um, a couple things. You're going to hear from the Trump folks about a meeting that he had. I believe it was two nights prior, if I have that right, where he put out a request for thousands of extra law enforcement officials, whether that was National Guard or what have you. And they're going to make the case that the mayor of Washington, D.C. denied that request. So that's going to be part of this pushback. Uh, We'll see how far that goes. But again, I think the key is what is new that we haven't seen to date. Right. But on the right, they have acknowledged, you know, right away after January 6th that what happened was wrong. They condemned it. They condemned the violence. But there hasn't been a lot of focus on the right. A lot of Republicans have said, you know what, let's focus on the future. Let's not look back. And they, a lot of them say this is just partisan theater. Democrats may lose the midterms. They may lose the House. They could possibly lose control of the Senate. So they're desperate. That's what Republicans are saying. Well, I, I, I look, you cannot remove politics from this equation. There's going to be some politics involved here. And uh, depending on which side wants to use which arguments for their advantage, we'll see how that plays with the American public. But you're very right about the midterms coming up. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're in five months. What do you think has emerged as a trend most Trump-backed Republicans have won, not all. How do you see him overarching as the, you know, figurehead here for Republicans? Yeah, let's take this past Tuesday night. What it tells me, I think, is that Trump's acumen, not necessarily for the candidate specifically, but for the district they represent, is either favorable to the Trump movement or not. And he knows that okay. innately yeah. and makes the decision as to whether so to he, go in or not. I, th- I, think it, I think before Tuesday, I think he was 107, meaning 100 to 7 based on the endorsements that he right, had. Right, only losing seven races. And, and, and one of those was in, in Georgia, uh, Governor Brian Kemp, right. the Trump-backed challenger. Yeah. Former Senator David Perdue lost, and he lost big. Mm-hmm. 
The pres- former president has gone after, though, all 10 Republicans in the House who voted for his impeachment over what happened on January 6th. One of them, of course, Adam Kinzinger, the other Liz Cheney, they're both on this committee, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Kinzinger's not even running. He, he, right. he said, I'm not going to run again. But Liz Cheney's still fighting, hoping mm-hmm. to win a reelection. Yeah, she'll be in a tough primary fight in Wyoming. We'll see how it goes. Um, that, that's to be decided. There are 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach. Yeah. I've off the top of my head, the majority are no longer pursuing office or in office. Uh, but you have a few, a gentleman, David Valadeo in California. Uh, he won a race, he lost a race, he won the race back. And his district was changed because of the census. He's running in a more difficult district now, but he still stands a chance of winning. And that is one of those races this past Tuesday where you had a number of Republicans line up to take his seat. And President Trump did not endorse any one of them in that House. You can see how it would be very easy for him just to to go down the list and say, well, I mean, you voted yes against me. You voted yes against me. But I'm not going to take a position based on the current race that you're. So he cherry picks which ones to get involved in. There is talk of him wanting to be a part of the coattails of, say, the Republicans taking over the House in the 2022 midterms by announcing a run for president before the November elections. And then if the Republicans do win the House, he can say, see, I was right there with him. I've heard that. I I don't know it to be true. Maybe it is. Uh, I I think that only Donald Trump knows what Donald Trump's going to do. He's been very, very vocal, of course, against uh, President Biden on a lot of different things. Ukraine being one of them, he said over and over again, if he had been reelected, Vladimir Putin, the Russian leader, would have never invaded. Obviously, he didn't invade when Donald Trump was in office. He has obviously invaded. In the last three months, the war continues. This is a war that has gone a lot differently than we thought it would when it started. Everyone seemed to think that this was going to be a pushover. Ukraine was going to fall quick. Mm-hmm. Moscow would be taking over Kiev in a week. Didn't work that way. Yeah. This is what appears to be happening. The Russians move in, they wipe out a city, and they fail to hold that city. The Ukrainians push back, and they retake territory. Probably territory you don't want or I don't want, uh, but this is their land. Yeah. What is left of it anyway. And they seem to be successful at that. Now, Russian forces have really been bombarding eastern Ukraine lately, claiming to have taken control of almost an entire province after more than three months of fierce Ukrainian resistance in other areas, leading to heavy Russian casualties. Not the first time that Russia has dealt with that problem. When the nation is put into this kind of life and death situation, it's like quite literally it is defending uh, the homeland. It's defending homes. It's defending the lifestyle. It's defending families. That is from a new Fox Nation special Bill Hemmer hosts. The Winter War, the Soviet invasion of Finland, which began in late 1939, right after the start of World War II. What was happening in Northern Europe at that time is that the Soviets wanted land that the Finns had, and they kept asking for more, and Helsinki said no. And this went on through September and October into November. And in late November, um, a small town in the former Soviet Union now, this wasn't Russia, Mm -hmm. Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. it it was shelled. And some reporters were taken in there, and it was hard to see whether any Finns had been there, Finnish soldiers. 
And this is what is believed to be the false flag on behalf of the Soviet Union that precipitated the invasion of Finland. And this is amazing stuff here. Early December, they go in. The Finns put up a fight that the Soviets simply did not expect. Sounds a whole lot like Ukraine. It does. And then, then again, like Ukraine, you know, Finland was part of the Russian Empire you know, before the Soviet Union and all the changes. They got away. Yeah. 20 or so years prior to what's happening in World War II. Yeah, so, so what do the Finns do? They get creative, right? Remember, this is December, January, February, late 1939, early 1940. It's winter. There's snow everywhere. There's trees and forests. It's hard to move. The Soviets come in with a traditional army that had about half a million soldiers along that border. Well, the, the Finns had about 100,000. And the Finns had to find a way of fight. And you know what they did? They outfitted themselves in white uniforms that camouflaged themselves in the snow and used skis to get around, around the timber and the trees. That's amazing. They, they invented something called the Molotov cocktail, which was named oh, yeah. after a Soviet minister at the time. And they put up a fight. Three and a half months later, the Finns had lost 25,000 men. And the Soviets had lost 125 thousand. That's a lot of losses. That's a lot of losses. And you know, again, current conflict, Russia's lost an unbelievable number of of their troops. And and Dave, you're right. The Soviets thought it would be an easy job, kind of like Putin thought Ukraine would be an easy job. The similarities between what the the mistakes the Soviets made during the Winter War, as it is known, and the mistakes that Putin has made in the first three and a half months of this war in Ukraine are strikingly similar. That ended in a treaty The Soviet Union did get a a portion of Finland out of the deal. Is that maybe what we could see happen in Ukraine? It's possible. Um, You're right about that. The Finns didn't want to give up land, but in order to achieve peace and keep their country, they gave in on that point. Um, In Ukraine, it could. I think we're a long way from knowing that. And And I do think back to the original point of this subject. In all likelihood, it's going to take at least a year before we have an idea about that. How long is the special? It's dropping on Fox Nation right now. It lasts about 30 minutes, and you can learn a lot. Fox Nation, the Winter War with mm-hmm. Bill Hemmer, right? Yeah. Bill Hemmer, you can watch him on Fox Nation. Of course, you can watch him on America's Newsroom Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. And also, you get to watch him do those maps on TV on yes. election night. That's That must be a lot of fun, pressing the, as, the wall. Hey, Dave, as long as it works right. <laughs> as long as it works right. Because <laughs> if you hit a trap door, you better make sure you know how to get out of it. <laughs> I yeah. know you know how to do that. Cool. Bill, thanks very much. You bet. Good to be with you, Dave. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Joe Concha. What's on your mind? The January 6th hearings come to primetime because Democrats insist that these hearings are about getting to the real truth about the Capitol riot. So if that's the case, then why did the Democrat-run committee need to hire a former producer and network news president to craft, to choreograph, to spin a narrative in the most dramatic way possible? 
And don't tell me that this former ABC News president, James Goldston, has any interest in pursuing the truth. This is the same guy who spiked the Jeffrey Epstein bombshell after ABC News had it first. Many victims could have been spared. And yet he never had to answer any questions about that. Now, did he? Meanwhile, I'm old enough to remember just about six months ago, January 6, 2022, one year after the riot, a day when Democrats and many allies in the media were so over the top, almost to the point of being cartoonish, that the American people turned off the wall-to-wall-to-wall coverage on other networks. There was barely a ratings bump despite all the hype. We even saw Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi invite the cast of Hamilton to perform, because this isn't theater or anything. Meanwhile, Americans, including myself, were mortified by what we saw at the Capitol that day in 2021. There should be an investigation into what happened so it doesn't happen again, and not whatever this weaponized version is coming up in terms of this committee. As it stands in June 2022, Americans are overwhelmingly concerned about inflation, about gas prices, about crime, about the border, about immigration, and about their kids' education and safety far more than political theater at this point. Democrats hope that this is going to change the ball game for the midterm elections. They will be proven wrong. I'm Joe Concha. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.